Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's our theme verse from 2 Timothy 3.12 for this week's Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Senior Pastor Perry Duggar will continue in our series, Church Empowered, with this week's episode titled, Persecution. If you want to watch the video of this week's message, listen to worship, or search through our message archives, visit brookwoodchurch.org watch or download the Brookwood Church app. We pray this message encourages you and your walk with Christ. So good to see you. Gotten lonely sometime, missing some of you. Thank you for cooperating, wearing masks. It's a good exercise for us in love for one another. Do you know that? Well, is it right to wear a mask? Yeah. Is it right to not wear a mask? Yeah. So the point is, in the non-essential issue that God hasn't given us clear direction, we are sensitive about each other's concerns. And we put other people's concerns ahead of our own. So people with masks aren't superior to people without. People without aren't superior to people with. We understand that. Differences are healthy in a church. That doesn't mean division or dissension. Differences are healthy in a church. So we embrace it. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Some of you I haven't seen in a little while, and it's really nice to see your faces. What part of it I see? <laughs> That's right. So we return to our survey of Acts called Church Empowered. Today's title and the subject that I'll address is persecution, which of course is mistreatment for our faith. The theme verse for today is taken not from Acts, but actually from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, part of that verse, where it says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And so today we will examine the stoning of Stephen who became the first Christian to die for his faith and that is called what? Martyr. And the word martyr literally means what? Witness. Witness. The death is a witness, see? And so, and we will apply what we learn to our own experiences. That wasn't Corona, it's just allergies. <laughs> A profile of persecution is what we'll look at today. Persecution begins when we express God's truth. And we're at Acts chapter 6. Beginning today at verse 8, Stephen, now Stephen was a young man. We know this only by historical writings, mostly tradition. But Stephen, apparently at this time, was a young man of not more than 30, probably 29, 30 um, years of age. A man full of God's grace, 
What does it mean to be full of God's grace? Well, we say, okay, that's unmerited favor. But think about it this way. God's grace is a divine influence on your heart. God's grace isn't just a gift of blessing. God's grace is something that changes you. It's an influence on your heart. Also power, which is supernatural ability or might. And he performed amazing miracles and signs. Signs point to a truth, remember? Or they confirm an identity as an apostle. He wasn't named as an apostle, but he's certainly performing here as an apostle. And so this was a man who had been transformed by God. He was a man who was fitted, equipped for God's functions. We saw in Acts chapter six, previous verse, uh, chapter verse five, that he was a man full of faith when he was being chosen, remember, to serve the Greek-speaking widows. He was a man full of faith. Well, if you're full of faith, you trust God. And he was also full of the Holy Spirit. And if you're full of the Holy Spirit, guess what? You obey God. So here's a man who trusted God and obeyed God. Those two are not exactly the same, though they are, certainly are related. Now, these miracles and signs weren't performed to entertain or to amaze a crowd. These miracles, God gives these miracles, God provides these signs to confirm that someone is a messenger for him, to confirm the truth that's being proclaimed. So, so miracles confirm the messenger and the message. And Stephen was focused on God's purpose in this world. I think, I think we can learn here because we get a little unfocused about this issue. And so we can think that God's purpose in this world is to provide me what I need. But more than that, what I want. And we forget that it's our purpose to do God's purpose rather than his purpose is to serve our purpose. We get this thing reversed sometimes, don't we? He was committed. Boy, I have missed that. Who's that out there talking to me? I like that. Yes, yes, yes. He was committed to obey the great commission to spread the gospel of the resurrected Messiah. Now we can say, oh, but everybody in America's heard the gospel. Not in the way you say it. Not embodied in a person whose life is changed. Do they know the objective facts? A lot do. That doesn't mean they see them displayed. So that they're displayed to be truthful. Stephen's life was a constant expression of his faith. It showed in his actions. It showed in his words. Do you think ours are? Are our lives constant expressions of our faith? What do you think, Linda? Sometimes or all the time? I'm not sure that they're not. Somebody's over here yelling to me. Good, I like that. I think all the time displays the state of our faith. It may be a lack of faith. But we are constantly displaying the state, the condition, the
the strength of our faith and our words and our actions. Now, this display by Stephen, it offended some people. Verse nine. But one day some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, these were descendants of Jewish slaves who had been captured by Rome and taken away to Rome or the Roman lands as it was called. So they'd they'd been freed, they'd been released, they'd come back and they established this synagogue and they started to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. So these were Greek speaking. There's another word for Greek speaking or Grecian, and that word is Hellenist. So if you read that, a Hellenist Greek, it was someone who'd been influenced by Greek culture and likely spoke the Greek language. So these Hellenistic Jews had lived in the Roman Empire. Now, what are synagogues? Well, we have synagogues today, obviously, even in our community. But synagogues were and are meeting places where Jews assembled to read the scriptures and to worship. And synagogues originated over 600 years before this period during the Babylonian captivity under King Nebuchadnezzar who captured Jews and took them to Babylon. So here's what happened. He didn't force all of them to denounce Judaism. But how could you be Jewish with no temple? Because the Jewish faith was centered in one location, the temple. That's where the Torah was read. That's where worship happened. That's where sacrifices were offered. Well, they're a a thousand miles away. So that's how the synagogues began to be developed. But see, the Jewish faith requires sacrifice. So that's the major issue missing when there's no temple for sacrifice. Well, what's happening to them today? They only have synagogues. But if you read anything about end time prophecy or anything from Jewish writings, they intend to rebuild the temple. And return to sacrifice. Because see, their, their faith was cut off when the temple was destroyed. Now this debate with Stephen, who may have belonged in this synagogue, because he was a Hellenist Jew. It likely centered on the death, the resurrection, the Messiahship of Jesus. But also the inability for the Mosaic, and that means just from Moses... The Mosaic law and the temple rituals inability to save. And yet Stephen prevailed in defending these beliefs. Verse 10. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. Now, here's the point. They weren't interested in listening and learning. They were interested in winning this argument. And their human reason was no match for Stephen's God-given words and wisdom from the Spirit. 
Say we're promised that when we're confronted that we will be given the words to speak. Luke 21, 15. So like Stephen, we're subject to this great commission. And so we must express God's truth and tell our faith stories. We must confront, confront sin and error in our culture. And without fear of rejection. Though we may experience negative consequences. Now I know there were a couple of comments from the, the online congregation. That said, people said that they had done what I suggested. Well, what I suggest is not nearly as important as what God suggested, but they had spoken truth into a situation. I don't know all the details. And it didn't go well. It didn't go well. But see, in that line of, in that statement is a false assumption. Now you all heard me say it. Did I promise it would go well? I probably promised it would not go well or, or may not. But here's my point. See, in this kind of situation, our allegiance isn't to the outcome we want. Our allegiance is to God and his truth. See, what's wrong in our culture is we've been so afraid of rejection that, that we've been grown silent but you establish truth for truth's sake. And you let the Spirit apply it to the hearts and minds. So do you look for and take opportunities to explain your faith? So people can believe and be saved. These men couldn't defeat Stephen in a fair debate. So they changed their tactics. Another element of persecution is to experience personal attack. That's known, this is known, we all might know, what kind of argument is that? Latin word. Ad hominem. When you give up discussing the issues and you attack the person. Ad hominem argument. Verse 11. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen. Saying, we heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. Isn't it interesting that they put Moses' name ahead of God's here? Because they... See, they were adhering to law above faith. Blasphemy is speaking evil of something that is deemed sacred. The law of Moses, the temple, God himself. And this was a serious crime punishable by death, Leviticus 24, 16. So that accusation 
It stirred people up. And verse 12 says, this roused the people, the elders, and the teachers of religious law. So they arrested Stephen and they brought him before the high council. What's the high council? Sanhedrin, Sanhedrin. The lion witnesses said, this man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We have heard him say this Jesus of Nazareth or Jesus the Nazarene. Now you realize, don't you, that that's an insult. That's ridicule of Jesus because they believed that anyone from Nazareth wasn't going to be good. Can anything good come from Nazareth, they said. So whenever they would say this Nazarene, it was an insult. He said he will destroy the temple. Did Jesus say he would destroy the temple? Come on, y'all. He did. But he meant his body destroyed this temple. John 2, 19 and 21. He'll change the customs Moses handed down to us. Would he change the customs of Moses? Yes. By fulfilling them. See, So he was really the fulfillment of what they should have been wanting. But instead, they wanted the status quo. And they didn't want Jesus to be messing with it. Even though the coming Messiah was part of what they declared was their greatest expectation. But Jesus would change the rituals. Because in fulfilling them, he made the old covenant ritual observances unnecessary no sacrifice was ever needed again now these these same false accusations had been made by Pharisees against Jesus and led to his crucifixion so these men are thinking well it worked once let's try it against Stephen And so they turned what was a very positive, hopeful, wonderful teaching about Jesus' messianic fulfillment of the law. The Messiah has come. He's fulfilled the prophecies. They turned it into a revolutionary desire to overturn sacred aspects of the Jewish faith. They made what was good something evil. Stephen was accused of blasphemy. Not because he insulted God directly, but because he supposedly insulted the temple and the law. And when they accused him of this, he said nothing. He said nothing. At this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became bright as an angel's. What did that mean? What was happening here? What did that his face glowing mean? Come on floor, tell me. It was God's confirmation that Stephen spoke from him because only one other person's face began glowing. Whose was it? Moses, and they all knew it. God would put his, his glory on Moses' face. Now, it didn't stay, 
but it confirmed that he'd been with God. And it also later confirmed the message that he had was from God. That's Exodus 34. But, but let me, let's ask this question about, about Stephen's experience to this point and apply it to ourselves. Are we willing to suffer unfair accusation, ridicule, persecution for our faith? Are we willing, or when we're mistreated about our faith, that we get all upset and act like God abandoned us? And do we trust God to confirm our claims, to reward our efforts? During persecution, an opportunity arises to explain from the Bible. Chapter 7. And you'll be glad to know I'm not going to read all these chapters. Then the high priest asked Stephen, are these accusations true? Now, Stephen disputed these serious charges by using what these people recognized as authority. He used the Old Testament scriptures. So he used the very thing they would have called sacred to actually defend his beliefs. Although the Sadducees, as I've taught you, rejected many of the scripture's teachings. And so in the coming verses, Stephen recited stories of of patriarchs Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He spoke of the fathers of the 12 tribes and Joseph, Moses, the lawgiver, David, and Solomon, the greatest kings of Israel. And I urge you to read these passages if you want to understand the flow of history in the Jewish nation up to the coming of the Messiah. There's, There's not a better summary than the preaching of Stephen here. And I'll just kind of go fly over the top a little bit. But what he's doing is he's identifying the history of Israel as the foundation of his preaching. He spoke first of of God's call of Abraham to leave his home and go to a new land. And that's in the beginning of Acts chapter 7, verse through verse 7. He referenced God's covenant with the the fathers of the 12 tribes in verse 8. He spoke of Joseph and Joseph's move into Egypt where the Jews were later enslaved and the move, the later move of his family into Egypt. And that's verses 9 through 19. He told of the life of Moses in Egypt, fleeing to Midian, encountering God at the burning bush in Mount Sinai, being sent back to deliver Israel. From slavery, verses 20 through 36. And then Stephen reminded the Sanhedrin that the lawgiver Moses, the one they've, they've been talking about that he supposedly dishonored and the law that he supposedly dishonored predicted the coming Messiah. And that begins at verse 37. Moses himself told the people of Israel, God will raise up from you a prophet like me from among your own people. That's Deuteronomy 18, 15. Moses was with our ancestors, the assembly of God's people in the wilderness when the angel spoke to him at Mount Sinai. And there Moses received life-giving words 
to pass on to us. Anything strange in what I just read? Well, Exodus doesn't really tell us about an angel as such, the angel of the Lord, perhaps speaking out of the burning bush. But you will see numerous times that angels were involved with Moses. It's referenced in Galatians 3.19, Hebrews 2.2. But the nature of of the angel's uh, involvement is really unclear. He spoke of Israel's rejection of Moses and turning to idolatry in 39 through 44. He referenced the tabernacle and then the temple that Solomon built. Now, was the temple that was used where sacrifices were offered at the time of Stephen's death, was that the temple that Solomon built? Was it? No. That temple was destroyed. It was built again by Zerubbabel and that temple was, restro- was destroyed. This particular temple that was standing at the time of Stephen's preaching was built by whom? Herod, who wasn't a Jew. And what would happen to it? It would be destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans, exactly. But was it destroyed at the hand of the Romans, but by the will of God? Because he had already sent the final sacrifice. And there should have been no more sacrifices after the death of Jesus. And then he challenged them by quoting Isaiah 66, verses 1 and 2. And you can find it in Acts chapter 7, verse 48. However, the Most High doesn't live in temples made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Could you build me a temple as good as that? Asked the Lord, could you build me a resting place? Didn't my hands make both heaven and earth? See, they're actually insulting God. In a sense, they're blaspheming God by saying and acting as though God had to be limited to one place which you see really diminishes God, that he could be contained inside a stone building. And so Stephen accused the Sanhedrin of sinning against God, beginning at 51. You stubborn people, you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it again from the hands of angels. Stephen declared that they're hypocrites. That they, they, they're acting like they're defending the law in the temple. But they don't truly respect Moses or the law or the temple. Because if they had, then they would have heard what God said about the Messiah that Moses promised and the law spoke of. Jesus later castigated the Pharisees for the same way. You talk of the law, but it's the law that speaks of me. And yet you deny me. These folks are doing the same thing. 
But the point is here, Stephen knew the biblical story. You say, well, but you said his spirit helped him. Yes, the spirit did help him. But I think there's probably a little homework that's been put in as well. And we should know our faith stories. When our faith is challenged, do we rely on God's word, on his truth, to explain our message and our motivation, to explain our lives? Because see, those are the only answers. And we're not trying to win an argument. We're just trying to justify our words, our behavior, our lives. But we have to count on their agreement, their transformation to come from the Spirit. But transformation in anyone is the Word of God illuminated by the Spirit of God. So let me urge you, spend some time in God's Word. If you're not in with a group of people, join a group of people so that we can hide God's Word in our heart so that the Spirit can remind us in the moment when it's needed. Persecution requires us also, finally, to endure mistreatment. Verse 54 in chapter 7. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation, and they shook their fist at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in place in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Stephen was filled with the spirit and he remained calm even as they raged against him. Have you had that experience? Someone at work that attacked you or criticized you for your faith and yet you remained calm because you were full of the spirit. And you know what? Our sense of well-being will never come from this world. It can come only from the spirit of God within us. Now, I think it's fascinating that Stephen was given a glimpse into heaven. Although I don't really think heaven is up. I think heaven is another dimension. But, but it may be perceived as up at times. And he saw Jesus in his glorified state. Now, what is it about this passage that's odd? Somebody's mumbling, so you don't want, you can hide behind that mask, so I can't call on you. That's a good, that's a good point. But, but the, the particular thing I want you to see is Jesus was standing, but numerous passages say what? Jesus was seated at the right hand of God because his work was ended. So what we see here, there's numerous passages throughout the New Testament that say that, notably Hebrews 12, uh, 10, 12. But here, Jesus was standing. Why was he standing? You got an idea, John? 
Why was he standing? I think you're right to welcome Stephen. Lola, you got something over there? You know why you're standing? He was standing demonstrating his concern, I think even his respect for Stephen. He knew what Stephen was about to endure. See, sometimes we act like Jesus is embarrassed of us. No, no, Jesus regards us. Jesus knows us intimately. Jesus died for us personally. And so when one of his children is about to die, he stood. And I think he also was telling Stephen, I'm, I'm here for you. That's what you said. I'm here for you. I'll receive you. You know, my mother died just a few years ago. My wonderful, godly mother. And she had this delightful lady that would, um, they would read the Bible. Sometimes they would sing together. They would pray together. Her sitter, and one Sunday night, as the sitter would help her get into bed, the sitter observed her looking toward the end of the bed. And the sitter, whose name was Dolores, said, Joyce, she used to call her Miss Joyce a lot, but Joyce, what do you, what do you see? And she said, there's three angels, or three people, three people standing at the foot of my bed. And she said, are you afraid? My mother said, no, I'm, I'm not afraid. Dolores said, well, what are they doing? She said, they're just standing there looking at me and their hands, one hand's covering the other like this. And my mother covered one hand over the other and held it in a way that she hadn't been able to do in years because of arthritis. That night, my mother died. Jesus regards us in our times of stress, in our time of passing. This in the first, my mother's story is not the first I've heard about a vision of an angel in the very last hours of life. So we can have hope there. These Jewish leaders put their hands over their ears and they began shouting. They didn't want to hear anymore of this truth. And they rushed at him. They became like an enraged mob. And they dragged him out of the city to stone him, which was according to the law. And his accusers took off their coats, which the witnesses would take off theirs and throw the first stone, and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they stoned him, although they lacked the authority to do it because the Romans hadn't given them this um, authority, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He expected to be in the presence of Jesus that very day, immediately upon his death. And he fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. You know, have you noticed that when you're filled with the Spirit, even in difficult times, you have no hatred 
even for the people who are harming you. And with that, he died. And then the next verse says, Saul was one of the witnesses and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. I wonder if Stephen's life and the way he died influenced young Saul. And when Jesus spoke to Saul on the road to Damascus, I wonder whether this image of watching this young man, Stephen, die so hopefully and so fearlessly had an influence. I wonder how often we influence people around us toward faith, and we don't even know it's happening, just by our responses when we're mistreated, when we're criticized, when we're passed over. I wonder how many people are watching closely and seeing how does that woman have peace in the midst of this mistreatment? Well, here's a question. Are you willing to die for Jesus? You willing to die for Jesus? Then will you live for him? Spiritual practice this week from Acts 7.55 is that Stephen in his most threatening moment focused on the person of Christ. What is it? And you may right now have a sense of fear or dread about illness, about election, about something. But what helps you focus on the presence and the person of Jesus? It may be prayer, it might be worship, it, it might be fasting, Bible reading, but spend some time there, especially as difficulties are in the air, so that you too can see the sun standing out of his concern for you. You know, I'm so thankful for you coming back today but let me urge you that as we try to rebuild our church, volunteers, particularly in children's ministry, are needed. You said, but this is the mask hour. Well, but you can wear your mask in rooms and serve the other hour. You see what I'm saying? So you can wear. It isn't that masks are outlawed, you know, in 30 minutes. <laughs> You're able to wear masks always. So let me urge you to serve. And yes, wear your mask. Because we're learning to, to love, respect, care for each other's concerns during this time. Now, I don't need to tell y'all that voting is Tuesday. And I think the overriding issue for all of us, one of them, would be justice. Justice for all who bear God's image, regardless of race or financial status or background. Every person bearing the image of God deserves respect, dignity, justice. But let me point out, that includes justice for those who can't speak for themselves. This includes the unborn. And I did a little bit of research just to, to know, but from 1973 until 2018, that was as late as statistics as I could get, 
over 61 million infants have been aborted. And that equals the entire population, although it's one million less, than the entire, the entire population of South Carolina, North Carolina, Georgia, Florida, Tennessee, and Alabama. And it's a million less still of everybody you see for what is that six states. Let's pray and let's vote. And then let's pray some more. Let's pray some more. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. Our memory verse is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Here's this week's spiritual practice. Make a plan to pray for Brookwood's global partners on a regular basis. At Brookwood, we want to help you pursue a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience a transformed life. One way you can do this is by getting connected at Brookwood. Please email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call 864-688-8326 to speak to someone on our Connections team. Thanks for listening and have a great week.